0: Well, today we are wrapping up our Sticks and Stones series, and we have been talking about how we speak, the words we use, the things that we say. And one of the things that we said early on in the series is uh, that the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I didn't have to get very old before I learned that that wasn't true. In fact, there are many times in my life where I would have preferred the stitches and the broken bones to the hurtful things people have said to me. And so today as we wrap this up, we are going to see what it is about words and what it is about our mouths that make them so difficult to control. And so we're going to be in the book of James today. James is one of my favorite books of the Bible, so much so I named my kid after it. So uh, James is the uh, stepbrother of Jesus half-brother, excuse me, of Jesus. And so if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible, we'll be in James chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you. Feel free to use uh, a Bible app on your phone or whatever mobile device you may have, or the verses will be on the screen. And we've got a lot of ground we're going to cover in the 11 verses we'll be in today. So we're just going to dive right in. James chapter 3, excuse me, James chapter 3, we'll start in the second verse. James writes, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Um, The way that's written there, the word stumble means to stumble continuously over and over and over again, Uh, meaning that as believers, we are supposed to follow Jesus as closely as possible, but that we're not going to really nail it out of the park every day. Like, Rather than go to bed at night most days and think, man, I really did well today. Most of us are going to go to bed and go, oh well, we'll get them tomorrow. Like, That's just kind of how it's going to be. We will stumble and mess up all the time. and He says that the tongue is such a big deal that if you can keep your mouth in check, if you can always Always never say a bad thing, always say the right thing, never say anything hurtful, always say helpful words instead of harmful words, then you are a perfect person because there is nothing harder to control than your words, than your tongue. Uh, I was just thinking back this week on uh, all of the three weeks of this series that I have been standing up before you and talking about how careful we need to be with our words, and I was wondering. How many really, really dumb things have I said in the last three weeks? Because I get up here and say, here's what we ought to do, and then I leave, and I fail. I stumble over and over and over again, too. In fact, I was thinking back last weekend, I went into detail to my wife and her sisters about how they were all turning into their mother, and I think, you know what I should have said? Anything else. Anything else. I should have said, not that. And I wonder why, you know, it's like, I knew better, but, you know, why, why? Sometimes we just ask for it. Uh, you know, I think what it is is I grew up being a little brother, and I always pestered somebody my whole life, and I just, I got to keep doing it. It's like now that my brother, I don't live near my brother, and she's the closest person, so I guess I just got to poke and pester. Um, and so the, the idea, though, is that our mouths are so unwieldy they're hard to control and so much so I think he means that our, our words controlling our words is harder than controlling our behavior and I even think controlling your words is, is harder than controlling your thoughts because sometimes those words jump out of your mouth before you even have a time a chance to think don't they and so I think it's the hardest thing you and I will have to control is our mouths that's why he says if you got your mouth taken care of you've already got everything else lined up because it's so difficult to control even sometimes when you want to say something that is kind you ever had you you try to give a compliment or you're trying to just be friendly and everything turns out sideways and every extra word is you're just digging yourself deeper and deeper into a hole Uh, Ben and I were at Starbucks on Tuesday morning and one of the baristas that we see all the time she had glasses on and either she I couldn't tell if she had new glasses or if she didn't normally wear glasses you know I'm that kind of observant right but Ben and I both noticed and we said oh did you get new glasses and she said yes I did and we said oh that's cool they look great you know. And then I was up later getting a refill and this guy had walked in and he was just trying to, you know, just trying to make friendly banter. You could tell by his tone. He didn't mean any harm, but he said, so did you have a rough night or, you know, you have allergies or something because I noticed you're wearing glasses today? And I'm sitting there going, oh, buddy, no, no, man. I mean, is that what you wanted to have said right there? I mean, how many of you want someone to look at you in your glasses and go, you must have had a rough night, like you look rough, you look like you didn't sleep last, I mean, what a, ho- I mean, and he never caught it, he was just trying to be friendly, but it was like, man, just stop, just shut your mouth, grab your coffee, and go to your car, you're done, you, you, there's no recovering from what you have just said, and the worst part is, I don't think he ever even realized it, and, and so that's the problem with our mouths, is that even when we're trying to do right. Oftentimes we do wrong. And James will get into this, and the first point he makes is the point that we've been talking about every week of this series, and it's this words have tremendous power. My words have power, your words have power, and the second we underestimate the the power of our words, that's trouble. The second we underestimate and think, my words don't have any weight, Nobody's, nobody really cares what I say, I can get away with saying something, and it's not going to ruin someone's day, that's trouble. Because even the, a little comment in passing to somebody could ruin their day. And it, you, you say it and go on with your day and never think twice about it, and they dwell on it all day long. That is the power of words. So he goes on in verse 3. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we can make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And so he's saying your tongue is so powerful that even though it's a tiny part of your body, it can guide your entire life. And I was just thinking this week about different types of hurtful words, different types of, or different types of powerful words. I have a lot more examples of hurtful words than I do positive words. So let's just go through a few examples of these. So here we'll do hurtful words first. Unintentionally hurtful words. Okay. Someone comes out, you're going, your wife comes out, you're going on a date, or maybe, no, I'll go the other way. Your husband comes out, and you're going on a date, and your first thought is, you're wearing that tonight? No? Like, I guess I'm going to, no, this is just what I put on, you know, before, between getting home and before we left, I wanted that intermediate outfit before we really took off, this isn't what I was actually going to wear, you know, it's like, ouch, you know, that stings, okay? Um, or, did you mean for your hair to look like that? You know, or why aren't you married yet? It's like, well, <laughs> you know, th- and, and usually people say things like that, and it, again, it comes out of your mouth. You don't mean any harm by it, but that's the power of words. They hurt even when you don't mean for them to. How about negative words? Just always negative in tone. Poor me. Life is so hard. Life is so difficult. And when you talk like that, not only do you drag yourself down and kind of keep yourself, I think, from ever really having the energy to get past your own negativity but you kind of suck the life out of other people as you walk around going oh don't you feel bad for my poor life everything's so hard for me and those kinds of words believe it or not they might not be punching somebody but you might be kind of sucking their soul out of them every time you try to have a conversation because you're a high energy person other ones number three pacifying words this is where you sugarcoat everything because you're too scared to tell someone the truth that they maybe need to hear. You're, You're so scared of hurting their feelings that you will not stand up and tell them something that might be a little painful in that moment, but it will save them from a lot of pain down the road to lovingly correct them. And so instead of helping them, you selfishly say something, oh, no, looks great, looks good. Just keep doing what you're doing as long as it makes you happy and you say something pacifying just so you don't have to have the confrontation and you step back knowing that they're headed for a disaster and you don't do anything about it. In fact, you even encourage them in that with your pacifying words. Number four, critical words. When I first started preaching, I was at a little church in southern Illinois and I preached like 12 minutes. You think I talk fast now? I talked so unbelievably fast. I wish someone had like a high-speed camera so that you could play me back in slow motion because it probably would have looked normal. Uh, I I was just so anxious and scared all the time. And every week after my 7 to 12-minute sermon, uh, a lady got up and she told me everything I did wrong. Too short. We're not getting our money's worth. You know, any... Anytime now you hear, like, preacher, stop talking. We'd like to go to lunch early. No, she's not getting her money's worth. And then if I did talk longer, that was too long. No, no, my stories needed more detail. I needed to read more passages of the Bible. Whatever it was, I did it wrong. And the thing about that was, I knew I was bad. I knew it. Like, I didn't need someone to remind me of it every day. And there's a difference between... Critical words and critiquing words. Her words, maybe she meant them to be critiques, but that's not what they were. They were beating down somebody who already thought they were bad at something. And they made me want to get up on that stage less and less every single week. And some of you, maybe you're beating the life out of someone close to you by telling them they're never good enough or by giving the impression that they're never good enough. Critical words can be incredibly damaging, especially when you hear them over and over and over again. Number five, I'll call them weaponized words. These are uh, words that before you ever open your mouth, you have locked them loaded and you intend for them to cause pain. I think most of us in a moment of anger have said something that, you know, even within 10 minutes, we're like, I probably shouldn't have said that. That was a little mean. That was a little over the top. Uh, Things like, I never loved you. I hate you. You are such a disappointment to me. I wish I never married you. My life would be better without you. All things that are so painful. And many of you maybe have had somebody say something very, very serious like that to you in a moment of anger. And even though you know it was said in anger, even though you know truly deep down they probably didn't mean it, even right now recalling that can maybe even bring tears to your eyes a little bit because of how painful those words were. Number six, provoking words. Some people are always looking for a fight. It doesn't matter what it is, always always looking for some kind of drama to stir up and they always want some battle to fight. And I think it's partly so that they can tell other people about how right they are and how they, they always stand up and take a stand. And nobody's gonna talk to me that way and nobody's gonna get my order wrong and have me pay full price for it. I'll show them who's boss. You know, I'm the customer and I'm always right. And we know people. But, but I have rarely seen somebody who is always stirring up drama, always looking for a fight, walk away and make other people's lives better. And number seven, gossiping words. If weaponized words are locked and loaded weapons that you know are going to be an upfront hit to somebody, gossiping words are the sniper rifle of your words arsenal. This is where you stand back and you fire your shots. You want to say something hurtful. You want to say something uh, maybe that may or may not be true that's going to cause somebody harm. You want to talk about them, but you don't have the courage to do it to their face, and so you hide behind the cover of other people. All of those words are incredibly powerful, incredibly damaging, and if we're honest, maybe not to the extremes of the examples that I gave, but a lot of those words come out of our mouths more often than we would like to admit. Now, let's go to the positive ones, and I only came up with two, but I I stopped with two because they're so incredibly huge that I think if we just focused on these two, our lives would get so much better. Positive words. The first one I have is gracious words. As your kids mess something up colossally, get in a huge amount of trouble you sit down with them and you go "Well, that was a mess but I still love you you know where you sit down and you show them that there is grace in the world that their behavior does not determine your affection for them and you show them that you are still for them and on your side I I find myself as a parent yelling far much far more often than I ever intended to I mean, I'm amazed that I have a voice left on Sunday mornings when I get up here because stop it, stop it, stop it. In fact, you probably heard me yelling at my kids in the back just as the first and second songs were playing. I was standing against the wall and they were running circles chasing each other around me and they're up looking at the Southwood going, you know, doing one of these and it's like, they're doing a job. Leave them alone. Stop running. Go sit with your mother. All of that, you know. This is, I can't handle this. And, and I yell so much and sometimes I have to think, Oftentimes, the things that, about them that make them the most trying are the characteristics that I actually love about them and make them who they are. Uh, for instance, James, he is the most helpful little person I have ever met in my life. He wants to help. He wants to do things himself so you don't have to. He just likes to be in the middle of things. He doesn't want to hear that you're making cookies. He wants to help you make cookies. But when you have the help of a five-year-old, you know that it's not always help okay and sometimes I'm like Abby we made cookies and the boys helped you know <laughs> they helped and it took three hours to make one batch of cookies because of all the help they gave me you know but at the same time and so I want to be yelling in those moments no don't spill that no be careful what, you, what are you doing that for and you start to yell but it's like no I don't want to yell away those things that are so good about them uh, Jude I, we always say he's a party waiting for a place to happen He just is. Um, That's just how he is. Everything in life is wild. That's just he attacks the day. And and it's like that causes him to be wild and loud and disruptive. But at the same time, he's always smiling. He's always happy. He thinks everything is a cause for laughter and joy. And as as frustrating as that can be sometimes, it's like, no, I want him to grow up with that. I want him to be that kid. And so maybe sometimes instead of yelling and and griping, maybe I need to sit down and correct and yet feed into them those gracious words of, that wasn't great what you just did, but I love that you're helpful. That wasn't great what you just did, but I love that you're always so excited about everything. Okay. So I, I wonder how often I could speak gracious words to my kids and have such a much more valuable impact on their life than, stop it, stop it, listen to me, you know, all of those frustrating things that you say when you're a parent. Or how about these, th- how about this, encouraging words. How often do we love somebody and never tell them? How often are we proud of somebody and we just think they know that we're proud of them? But what if you actually just stopped and said, you know what, I am so massively proud of you. What if you actually took a moment to let those words come out of your mouth? My dad has, for the last number of years, been so intentional about telling, telling me that he's proud of me for how my life's turning out as a dad, as a parent, being a minister and all that stuff. And that means so much just to hear my dad. I'll bet there's not a time I don't go down to my mom and dad that he doesn't say that to me. And it's huge every single time. And so often, I wonder what would happen if you just looked at your spouse and said, I would marry you all over again. What if you looked at your kids and said, I am so glad God allowed me to be your dad or your mom. And I wonder how often we have those encouraging words, they're in our brain, and they're locked and loaded, ready to come out, and we just don't say them because we're too busy doing other things. But yet those words will have tremendous, tremendous power, and we cannot underestimate the power of our words. But as James goes on, he wants to make something else very clear about our words. Words are wild. He goes on, James chapter 3, the rest of verse 5. He says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, if I had only read those words and I didn't have the rest of what he said to go along, I would never talk again because that's, not, that's just scary. Hey, your tongue is going to get you into a mess of trouble. All right zip you know that might be the way to go and he's saying as powerful as the tongue is it's wild like it, it's just it just is unruly it's hard to rein in it kind of oftentimes takes on a life of its own which it, it amazes me because there are so many times when again I talk without thinking and it's, it's nice to know that that's not a new problem but that people understood that that was a thing 2,000 years ago when the Bible was being written and he gives us the example of fire. Fire is a, a great thing to think about here because fire is one of those things that is very powerful, but it's wild, isn't it? Fire doesn't always obey, and you have to be diligent. Anytime you light a fire when you're cooking dinner, um, when I'm out grilling, you know, I got to make sure where my kids are, I got to make sure all the coals stay in the grill and don't land in the the, the dry patch of grass off to the side yard, although the dry grass hasn't been super mu- an issue this summer, but but you've always got to pay attention. When you got a campfire, we put bricks or stones around it to try to keep it in, because the second you take your eyes off of it, it can go crazy on its own. some A, a little spark could jump up and light something on fire and burn your house down. You have no idea. You can't ever drop your guard around fire. You always have to be kind of on top of it, and if you're on top of it, you can use it for good, and it can be very powerful for good, but You can't relax and think, oh, this is just going to take care of itself. That's his example. And then he goes on to give us an even better example, one that I love, in verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We'll stop there for a minute. Now, I've said this before and i like to say it about once every year or so about every year or at least every other year you'll hear a story in the news about somebody who tries to make a house pet out of a wild animal and they're like oh i looks as like my pet tiger he's 3 and he's 800 pounds, or I got a pet chimpanzee, and they've raised him from when they were itty-bitty, and they weren't scary at all, and they think that they have domesticated this wild animal, so much so that they snuggle with it, and they sleep with it, and they let it roam the house when all their friends come over, and they think, oh, don't you want to come see my pet tiger? It's the cutest pet tiger, and then one day, it eats their neighbor, And they're, and they get interviewed, and they're going, I don't know how this happened. It's never eaten any of my other neighbors before. This was totally out of the blue. He's such a loving tiger. I don't get it. I do. It's a tiger. It is a wild animal at the top of the food chain. It never gets worried about being hunted. It always is the hunter, and you can never tame it. There are animals that cannot be tamed, and it will eat you if you drop your guard. He is saying the tongue, your mouth, your words are that way. Just when you think you're doing the best you've ever been, you cannot drop your guard. We must always be careful about what we say because the second you think you're good, you're going to say something colossally hurtful or painful or foolish or dumb, and you do not ever get to the point where you get to relax because you have your mouth all trained, all domesticated to follow every single command. And then he goes on to point out that, As a believer, if you're a believer, if you're not, I guess you kind of get a little bit of uh, some wiggle room and a pass maybe on this. But as a believer, it makes no sense for us to come to church. For us to praise God and then to leave here and talk another way and let filth come out of our mouths. To let our, our mouth spill out hurtful things. W- talking and praising God and and hurting other people with your words, those things do not mix. They are supposed to be like oil and water. They cannot, cannot go together. Listen to how he finishes up this little passage in verse starting in verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow out of the same spring? No. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Meaning that if you talk one way at church, and then go out, and you have horrible things to say, terrible, vile language. You're ter- ripping people apart. You're gossiping all the time. Those words mar and drag down the praises you try to make to God. That God is not dumb. He is not fooled just because you talked nice while you were in the church building. I said this last week, but I'm I know that people tend to talk differently at church. Okay, um, I, I know that people rarely curse in church, but I would guess that cursing outside of church isn't that rare for a lot of us, okay? So, we have this kind of two separate personas going on. We've learned, don't, you know, don't insult people at church, and the only one that I can say that we have invited into church a lot of times is gossip. It's amazing how you can mask gossip as all kinds of good stuff, like prayer requests and whatnot. So, sometimes you can get away with gossiping in church, but you know, ripping somebody apart, insulting somebody openly in church, saying something hurtful or vulgar or curse-filled, whatever, you can't, we we know that you don't talk that way at church, but outside of church, it must be okay, right? He says no. That's that's a two-faced hypocrisy. These two things, this attitude where I praise God, I come to church, and I sing the songs, and you know, whenever somebody prays, I say amen real loud. And then maybe even I squeak out a little tiny amen during the sermon, but not too loud, because Christian churches were a little tame, right? And, but, and so we do that on one hand, and then when we leave here, we're gossiping, we're talking bad about people, we're cursing this and that, blah, 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 and we're insulting people. He says, how do you make those go together? They don't. And when, you've, and when you think you've, you've been oh so good at church, and you praise, and you amen, and all that stuff, and then you go out and talk a bad way, that corrupts and undoes almost all of the praising that you have tried to do in church and that God will not be fooled. And you can't come to church and say amen during a sermon about loving your wife like Christ loved the church and then go home and use your words to make her feel like dirt. Those things don't go together. Your words are too powerful for you to use them as as two separate things. They cannot be both. And so you cannot underestimate the power of your words. And our words are one more area of our lives that we are called to surrender to the will of God. When we become a believer, the idea is that we leave our way of selfish living behind and we start living for Jesus. And we kind of surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit and to God so that he can kind of remake us in his image and we will live his way. Your mouth, your words, your the attitude you speak every single day, that is another thing that you and I need to surrender to to God. The types of words you use, that is something that you surrender to God. The vocabulary that you choose to use, that is something that you surrender to God and let him guide and mold and shape you so that you will talk in a way that is honoring and glorifying to him. Because words will direct your life and they will impact the lives of those you talk to every single day. And I wonder, how do we as Christians expect our marriages to thrive and survive if all we do is put down our spouse? Even if it's little passive-aggressive jabs, that just undermines the strength and stability of a marriage. How do we as parents expect to teach our children about the hope of Christ if all of our words are hopeless and life's so terrible and every situation is so big and overcoming and we never talk about how we have hope through any circumstance in Christ? How can we teach our kids that stuff? How can we, as church members, expect to be a family, a, a, a joined together body of believers if we gossip about one another and we go out of our way to talk and undermine the people in our very own church? How can that work together? Or how can we, as Christians, expect to share the message that Jesus is the source of true life if all of our words are poison to people? How can we do that? We cannot live the life God has for us and still speak any way that we choose. We surrender our tongues to God and we surrender our tongue to constantly be under our watchful eye. We cannot let our words just roam free because they are a wild animal and if you relax, it will bite you. It will mess you up. And so we need to keep a tight rein on our mouths so that we are always reflecting the grace, the love, teaching and the mercy of Jesus. And never underestimate the power that that one small, little hurtful sentence can make to somebody that you don't even think about but ruins their day. Don't underestimate the power of any sentence that comes out of your mouth, no matter how small. Your words have the power of life and death. And that is a gift that God has given us, but that is a responsibility that God has given us to use wisely. And never, ever, ever, ever forget that sticks and stones may break my bones but words will hurt forever. So now as we move to take communion this morning, if our servers would please go prepare to serve. We need to focus again on the mercy and the grace that Christ has shown us. You see, the idea of being a Christian is that we are so full of his grace and mercy, and we are so seeking every day to be filled by Jesus and changed by Jesus, that that just kind of overflows and bubbles over the top, and 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 we're so full of it that it just kind of comes out of us. And so that we live graciously, and we talk graciously, and we show mercy everywhere we go. And I hope now that as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that once again you would just be in awe and be filled with the joy that he has loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, that Jesus loved you so much to go to a cross and experience a brutal death so that you could be free from the consequences of your sins and let that so fill you up that it changes how you speak to people let you i hope that you are so in awe of the grace that he has shown you that you are changed and want to show that grace to other people i hope that you are so overwhelmed by the love and mercy that he has shown you that you can't wait to show that love and mercy to other people and how you act and how you speak as well so as you spend time thinking this morning while communion is being taken Let his grace overcome you. Let yourself get lost in the thought of his love for you so that you can be changed to show that very same grace to others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather and take communion. This ceremony of remembrance to remember always what Jesus has done. That his body was broken for us. That his blood was shed for us. So that we don't have to suffer the consequences of our sin, which is death. But we can be freed. Because Jesus took that penalty for us simply because he loved us and he wanted to show us his mercy and grace. And so I pray that we our hearts would be softened today and they would be opened to the fact that, man, you love us. Oh, my goodness, is your grace and mercy for us endless and boundless, that no matter the worst that we've done, you still meet us where we are and you show us your grace all over again. You never withhold your love. And I pray that we could just be in awe of the fact that Your love is boundless, and I pray that we would be filled with awe and gratitude for your grace and mercy, that we would be changed by it, and that we would be people that show grace and mercy. Let this ceremony of the Lord's Supper, of communion, let it not be something that we take every week and and just kind of go through the motions, but let it be something that we really are changed by every week as we once again draw ourselves back to the, the cross and the overwhelming love that you have for us as our Father. Thank you for Jesus and the love that he has shown each and every one of us. We pray all this in his good and holy name. Amen.